Let me ask you a question this morning. If you have, first of all, if you have a pen and a piece of paper, get ready. You're going to write something down. I'm going to have you write something down. If you don't have it, just poke yourself with your knife and use the blood on your finger. That'll work too. All right. So here's my question. What are you here for? Why did you come to church? I want you to write, write your answer down. You know, if you were in school, you'd say, I came to church today because... Or you can just put the one word. I want you to write that word down. Now, you might think this is a bit of a silly question, but it really does have some merit for us. I don't want you to think I'm going to stand up here and chastise you for whatever you wrote down or whatever reason it is that you've come to church today. Uh, I'm not going to condemn you, and I promise you, I promise you 100%, I'm not going to make you stand up and read your answer to us. Because this little exercise is an exercise between you and God. And God already knows why you came, so it's really an exercise for your benefit. This is for your benefit, because when we come to the place in our lives, when we're honest with ourselves about the things that we're doing, then we've got to, to the place where we can take the first step of making movement in our life in a way that God's calling us to. So be honest. Why are you here today? Write your answer down. And, and here's the really good news. I don't care why you came. I'm just glad you're here. I'm just glad you're here. Because every time you show up to a, this gathering, you bring encouragement to the other people that have also shown up. And they bring encouragement to you. I mean, I'm looking around today and I'm going like, oh, there's a bunch of my friends that aren't here today. I wish they were here. Not, not because I've got something really great to say. I, I do believe God's got something great to say. But I also know that when we come to this moment, when we gather together as the, the ecclesia, the gathering of the body of Christ, we are the church. When we come together, we bring a bucket of encouragement for those who come with us. When they walk through those doors and they see you in here, whether this is your first time or your hundredth time, when they walk in through the doors and somebody else sees you, their heart's going, man, I am so glad to see them today. Whoever you are. There are no small people in the kingdom of God. Everybody has significance. And so this morning I know that God also is excited that you're here, no matter what the reason is why you came today. It doesn't matter. God, God doesn't. He already knows why you came. He might have, you know, he knows that he nudged your wife to say to you, let's go to church. Or he uh, understands that you came because maybe you want to let other people know that you're interested in this time. He even knows if you came trying to earn good favor with him by showing up. And in all of that, God really is not put off by why you came today. I want you to hear me on this. God loves you. And he's glad you showed up for whatever reason you showed up. Because when you show up to a place like this, in this moment, when God is here, as you walk through those doors, what I know is what we've been praying for. And what we have been praying for is exactly what John said earlier. That when you walk through those doors, when you drive into the parking lot, when you park on the street, when you come into this place, we've been praying that the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit would fall on you. When you walk through those doors, it would be like a little mist. You know those misters you have in you know, that place over west of here? Vegas. It's so hot that they had those little misters on the street. Well, that's what we want you to, to, to get back there when you walk in the Holy Spirit just on top of you. 
Because when you come in and you have met God in the faith community with other people, he stirs something in your heart. He says something to you. He does something that is unbelievable. So God's excited that you made the decision to come today because he knows his Holy Spirit will be working in your life here. And the purpose of that is to draw you into a closer relationship with Jesus. Now, I think that we all kind of have a desire to draw near to God, to be closer to God. I think we all kind of, you know, if we were to ask each other that question, we would all affirm, yeah, I really do want to know God better. I do want to draw closer to Him. I want to hear His voice. But the truth is, is that when we start to step into the place where God's calling us, it gets a little bit unnerving, a little bit scary. Because God is kind of mysterious. Not just kind of, He's a lot mysterious. And we really don't know Him as He knows us. And so He may ask us to do something that might make us a little bit nervous. And that's okay. I used to tell my kids when they were growing up because I would scare the daylights out of them. They'd be walking through the house. I'd hear them coming. I'd stand behind the door and they'd walk around the door. I'd scare them until they jumped out of their skin. And I told them, hey, it's a good thing to be scared once a day. (laughs) It's also a good thing to be unnerved by God because after all, he's God. And you're not. So we, we do have this desire to draw near to God. But we all have this, this thing that we have to deal with. And it may be a generational thing. It may have skipped a generation, but you know about it and it still affects you. It's something that I've had to deal with over my lifetime. My kids have had to deal with it. it it's one of those things that kind of... You don't see it. You can't touch it. You can't taste it. You may not be able to smell it, but you might be able to smell it. But it's one of those things that has a way of hanging on, hanging around. It has residual effect on our life. And what I'm going to tell you that is, is just something that you may never have thought of before. And that's called religion. We are all suffering the effects of Religion. Now some of you are going like, what? Wait a minute. I've come to a religious place. Let me tell you what religion is. Religion tells us what we have to do and when we have to do it and how we're supposed to respond to it when it happens. Now I'm going to tell you something. I don't like religion. Matter of fact, If I can say it really strongly, I hate religion. Now, some of you who may be new to a church or new here are going like, hold on now, wait a minute. You're a pastor. You work for a church and you hate religion. Yep, you got it. Yep. Doesn't sound right, does it? Might sound a little bit messed up. But let me help you understand this because... Religion is a killer. Religion doesn't bring freedom. It doesn't bring joy. It doesn't bring contentment. It doesn't bring happiness. Religion puts you into bondage. Now, if you go back into the Bible, into the Old Testament, and you'll find, you know, where God starts to interact with people. He did that right when Adam and Eve were created. He started this interaction with people. And he created this interaction where he was ministering to them. They were ministering to him. There's this thing going on. But God, when he brought um, Moses, brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he put together a a whole list of, of rules and rituals that they were to follow in order to have a relationship with God. Without those regulations, those rules, those laws, there was no way that they were going to enter into a relationship with God that He desired from them. And so He made this pathway, this avenue to a relationship with God, but it was filled with a lot of ritual. It was filled with a lot of 
rules and laws. That's what we call it, the laws of the prophets. You go back into Leviticus, you can read about all the different laws that are in there. And what you'll find out about it is that there was a lot of stuff they had to do in order to be in relationship with God. Now, you might be asking, why, why did they have all those rules, laws, and regulations and rituals? Because they were very sinful people. They're not, they weren't any more sinful than we are. But God was a, God is a God of holiness and He's a holy God. And so in order to get there, you have to go through these different steps in order to bring the purification to your heart, your soul, and your mind in order to get to that place. And so for centuries, God has this chosen people. We know them as Israelites. The Jews were chosen by God when he, when God talked to Abraham and he called them to be holy. In other words, they were set apart as a nation for God and his special blessing poured out on them. The problem is, is that they didn't really love being set apart for God. Because being set apart for God and being holy meant that there were certain things you couldn't do. You couldn't have prostitutes in the temple. They didn't like that. They wanted prostitutes in the temple. I don't know why, but they did. Um, there were some other things that they started to believe in and, and bring into their own worship practices that God told them to stay away from. One of them is really quite horrifying to even think about. It was called child sacrifice. They would take their children and kill them and offer them up to this false god named Moloch. And God's going like, no, that's not holiness. And so for centuries, they followed these rules and laws and regulations. And, and you can read about it all the way through the Old Testament. And then when you get to the last book of, of the New Testament, Malachi, at the end of Malachi, God goes silent for 400 years. 400 years, God says nothing. He doesn't say anything through a prophet. He doesn't say anything through a priest or a Levite. He doesn't say anything in the temple. He, he absolutely says nothing for 400 years. And in those 400 years, while God is silent, what happens is there's these religious leaders within the Jewish culture that have popped up. We know them as the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin. And what they did is they took all the rules that God had that they were supposed to obey and they started to create more rules that they would place on the backs of people. And what they did is they took what God intended to be an avenue for relationship with God and they turned it into a religion. We know it as Judaism. And that religion, the whole purpose of that religion and every other religion is to suppress people, to keep them under the control of the leaders. And the way that you ever find yourself coming to God is, is through your good works, your good behavior, the money that you've given to the church, all these different things you have to do in religion in order to earn a place to be good enough with God. That's what religion does. Take any of the world religions and you look at them and they will have all these different steps of things you have to do in order to earn your place with God. Trying to strive for holiness or righteousness with God is this place of earning it through all these regulations, these rituals, these rules and these laws that man has piled on top of other people. My question is, what has it done? If religion is so great, then why do we have all these religious wars that are started? Here's what happens. We get caught up in religion and it robs us of our joy. It creates suspicion with the unchurched community. And it stresses religious activity to the detriment 
of the family, of your workplace, of your friends, and even your leisure. Because now religion tells you what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And I want to tell you something else about religion. God despises religion. God despises religious activity. And that might be news to you. Because what God is all about is he's about a relationship. What he wants is he wants to have a relationship with you. Jesus is waiting to be wanted. Jesus is waiting to be wanted. And he wants to be wanted by you. Now, what happens is this crazy little thing happened. After 400 years, after this religion was birthed out of this relationship God intended. God sent his son, Jesus. And when you read through the New Testament, you will find Jesus always confronting religious behavior. He's always confronting the religious leaders. Because he's saying, your religion is worthless and what God wants is a relationship like that of a father and a child. Well, that blew their minds. They were like infuriated over the thought that you could talk to God as though he was your dad. That just is blasphemy. And so they hated Jesus for the fact that Jesus was saying, let's step into relationship and forget all the religion. Now, we kind of have enslaved ourselves. We've created our own rules. We've created our own set or ideas of what it looks like to come to God. We've created things that we say, I have to do this in order for God to be happy with me. I have to do that in order for the pastors to be happy with me. You know, like drop cinnamon rolls and pies off at his house on a regular basis. And so we have rules. We're trying to earn favor with God. We're trying to find enough merit in our good works to appease God. And the whole message of the whole New Testament is is that you can't do it and Jesus did it for you. He did it. It's done. It's finished. We talked about that last week. That's the whole message of the resurrection is it's finished. Quit striving to please God. You're spinning your wheels. You're, You're expending a lot of energy to go nowhere. Get on the Jesus train and go for a ride of your life. That's what God's calling us to do. So I want you to know something. God hates religion. I hate religion, but I love Jesus. So why don't we watch this video? Because that's going to give you a little bit better of an idea about it. What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? What if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores. Religion might preach grace, but another thing they practice. Tend to ridicule God's people, they did it to John the Baptist. They can't fix their problems, and so they just mask it, not realizing religion's like spraying perfume on a casket. See, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification, like a long list of chores. Like, let's dress up the outside, make it look nice and neat. But it's funny, that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath. Now I ain't judging, I'm just saying, quit putting on a fake look. Because there's a problem if people only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. 
I mean, in every other aspect of life, you know that logic's unworthy. It's like saying you play for the Lakers just because you bought a jersey. See, this was me too, but no one seemed to be on to me, acting like a church kid while addicted to pornography. See, on Sunday I'd go to church, but Saturday getting faded, acting if I was simply created to just have sex and get wasted. See, I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness, but now that I know Jesus, I boast in my weakness. Because if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for the broken. Which means I don't have to hide my failure, I don't have to hide my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on Him. See, because when I was God's enemy, and certainly not a fan, He looked down and said, I want that man. Which is why Jesus hated religion, and for it He called them fools. Don't you see so much better than just following some rules? Now let me clarify. I love the church, I love the Bible, and yes, I believe in sin. But if Jesus came to your church, would they actually let him in? See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men. But the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention. How Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do. Jesus says done. Religion says slave. Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man. Which is why salvation is freely mine and forgiveness is my own not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserve. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. And he absorbed all your sin and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it, because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. So if we're to move away from religion and move closer to God, what does that look like? How does it, how does it really play out in our lives, and what, what's, the, you know, what's the big deal about that? Why does God care so much? It all comes back to relationship. God, God wanted relationship with Adam and Eve right from the beginning. And, and just imagine that. No sin. No sorrows. No death. No sickness. Talking with God. In the first thing in the morning, getting up, walking through the coolness of the garden, looking at, looking at all the, the, the crazy things that God created and talking with God about it. Then going through your day and picking the fruit and, and taking care of the animals and rolling around in grass without thorns or weeds. And then in the evening, God shows up again and you have another conversation about how great your day was. There's this closeness. There's this intimacy. There's this, there's, there is this oneness about being with God. So why could Adam and Eve have that oneness with God for as long as they did and then it all changed? Because God is a holy, righteous God. And as soon as sin entered into Adam and Eve... It caused separation because God and sin cannot coexist together. It doesn't happen. It can't work. And so because, because of Christ, we now step into this relationship with Jesus. And we have this access to God. We, we have continual access to the throne room of God to spend time with the holy God whenever we want to. But the problem comes in is that I think that when we come to faith in Christ... We make this pronouncement that we are going to love Jesus with all of our hearts, with our whole life. 
we get up off of our knees after making a confession and repenting of our sins, and then we walk down the street and we leave Jesus back over there. And then we show up once a week to a place like this because we want to come and get another little bit of a dose of Jesus. And then we leave again and we leave Jesus right in this room. We might ask him to show up to our small group meeting or to our youth group meeting or to our board meeting. But then when we walk out the door, we leave him here again. We keep leaving Jesus behind. And that's why James' words to us from James chapter 4 verse 8 are so meaningful and important to our hearts. Here's what James says. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This, it sounds like we're the one that is making the initial move towards God. It says draw near to God, then he'll respond to you and draw near to you. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus said that you can't come to the Father unless he calls you. And it's not just for salvation. Because Jesus... Jesus wants us to call out and say, come and meet with me. I don't know if you are ever at the place where you think about your life in Christ. And at the end of the day, you're going like, what difference did Jesus make in my life today? What difference did it make? Did it make any difference in the way I behaved? Did it make any difference in the things that I said? Did it make any difference in the way that I loved those that I'm supposed to love? Did Jesus make any difference in my life? And if you're like me, you at some point go like, it's not enough. What I have is not enough. I want more. There comes a point in our life when we are tired of... of, of Dressing religion in what we call a relationship with Christ, but it's still dressed, religion is still dressed in different garbs, and we at some point come to the place where we fall on our knees and we say, God, I want more. And when you say that, God's got this big old grin on his face, and you know what he's saying? I'm glad you finally heard me. I'm glad you finally heard heard me. That's what James is saying here. He's saying, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Here's the problem we have with trying to draw near to God. We're going to say something, particularly when we're in a setting like this and there's a bunch of other people, we're like, that's my heart. I want to be near to God. I want to draw near to God. We'll talk to our spouses or to other people about the message about drawing near to God. And, and we're all excited about drawing near to God until the reality hits when God says, you've said you want to draw near to me. Now, are you going to draw near to me? Because what we do know is that when God calls us to draw near to Him, He's going to bring something to us that we haven't experienced before. He's going to talk to us about an issue we haven't dealt with. He's going to call us to live in a place that we've never lived before. And all of that is quite unnerving and it's quite scary. Coming close to God is scary business. That's what is so appealing about religion. You don't have to get that close to God. You can keep Him at an arm's length and still do all the religious activity and you can look really good to everybody else sitting around you while in your heart you're holding God like this and on the outward side you're going like this. You're giving two different messages. The outward message is, I want more of God. But inwardly, when God calls you and says, let's deal with this, you say, no, that's too scary. I don't want to do it. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how it's going to feel. And so what we do is we just step into our practice of religious activity to appease our soul and make us feel like maybe we are drawing ourselves closer to God. When the call of God comes and it says, draw near, come close. You know he has something for you. 
My question is, are you afraid of what God has for you? Are you fearful of what God has for you? You know, if you go back and you look at Jeremiah 33, there's this secret little verse in there. I love it. I memorized it a long time ago. And it says, call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and hidden things that you have not known. Did you get that? Did you just hear what God said? He said, you call to me, I'm going to answer you, and when I answer you, I'm going to come up close, and then I'm going to reveal to you great and hidden things. All right, so you're going, okay, so what are the great and hidden things? I can tell you what the great things are, but I can't tell you what the hidden things are because they're hidden. God's going to reveal those hidden things to you. He's revealed hidden things to me. But we all know what the great things of God are. There are these great things that God is going to show us. I know from my experience of life with Jesus. I know from studying God's word that there is more. There is more of Jesus than I have experienced or, or known about right today. God says, I've got more of Jesus for you, Ken. Right now, do you want it? And I go, yeah, I want it. I want it in a bad way. Okay, if you want it, let's talk about this little thing over here first. And I'm going, I don't want it that bad. (laughs) Isn't that the way we are? We want holiness. We want righteousness. Because it sounds so religious. But when it comes down to the reality of stepping into holiness and righteousness, it's frightening. It's scary. It it pushes us to a place where we're having to get vulnerable with God. We're going to have to become transparent with God. And when we get vulnerable and transparent with God, God always calls us to get vulnerable and transparent with each other. That's why in James chapter 5, when, when people want find healing in their life, and it's not just physical healing, it could be healing for your marriage, it could be healing for your finances, it could be healing for your relationships, it could be healing for your business, it could be healing for deep wounds in your heart, whatever those wounds are, whatever it is you're looking for healing. When, we, when God calls us and says, you want to find healing? Yeah, we do. We want healing. Don't we say that? Yeah. Do you want healing? You want healing. All right. Then we have to do what James says. Confess your sin one to another. Now how many of you want healing? Yeah, that's what I thought. No. I'm not telling you my junk. Well, you see, you have the wrong idea about sharing your junk with somebody. When you share your stuff, your sin with someone else who absolutely loves you, absolutely brings no condemnation to you, who absolutely will never use what you share against them, God will swoop into your life and He will heal your broken heart. He will mend the wounds that you've been carrying around from your childhood. He will fix your marriage. He will will come in and He will rejuvenate your spirit and give it life. Right now, you might have a heart of stone and God's saying, I want to give you a heart of flesh. But you have to have healing first. That's what, that's what Jeremiah's telling us. He's got these great and hidden things for us that we don't know. And the reason we don't know is because we're not asking. We're not seeking. We're not knocking. We don't keep coming back to God and going, I want more, I want more, I want more. Because when you ask God for more, He doesn't turn off the spigot. He gets a fire hose. And He lets you have more. And you get up and you, after you're knocked around on the sidewalk for a little bit, because it's so overpowering, you get up and you go like, Whoa! That was great. Do it again, Dad. You've all had your kids do that to you. Or maybe when you were a kid, your dad did something that was so much fun and it was so mind-blowing and it was so crazy that you said, do it again, dad. 
And that's what Jeremiah is telling us. But there's, there's this thing that we have to keep in mind too. You know, we want more of Jesus. We want more of the Holy Spirit. We want more relationship with the, with the Father. We want more freedom. We want more joy. We want more peace. We want more grace. And we definitely want more forgiveness. But here's the thing. God's telling you, don't settle for what you've got. Go for more. And that brings us back to James 4.8. Because there's those two little words that are pointed right at us. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's a cleansing and a purification. The reason why we are called to cleanse our hands, it's not literally going in the bathroom and washing your hands with soap and water. It's talking about what you have been putting your hands, your physical body to doing that is displeasing to God, that is not glorifying to the Father, the things that we entertain and do in our life that is just for our own self-absorption. It's self-centeredness. We're feeding the self in our soul. That means to purify your hands is to stop feeding yourself and start looking for others. And to purify your heart, that is the inner man. The hands, the cleansing, wash your hands is the outer man. Your deeds that you're doing, the things that you're doing, the places you're walking, the things you're viewing, the things you're listening to, the people you're entertaining, all the exterior. The interior is when God, when it says purify your hearts, you double-minded. Because being double-minded means we're saying yes to God and His holiness over here. But on the other hand, we're going, but I like doing this too much and God's calling me away from this to, to live in holiness. And so we're double-minded. We can't make up our mind. And you know what happens if you sit on the fence? You get slivers in your rear end. <laughs> Those are spiritual slivers and they hurt. And that's God telling you to get off the fence. The way that we draw near to God and hear about all those great and hidden things is to come with clean hands and a pure heart. The process of obtaining clean hands and a pure heart is by willing to make a confession. A confession is is simply... Telling God what He already knows about you. It's the things in your life that are sinful that you just come and you go, by the way, God, I already know you know this, but I'm going to say it out loud. Out loud. It's like that exercise we did at the beginning of this talk when I said, write down why you came to church. God already knew why you came to church. He wanted you to think about why you came to church. Now what He's doing is He already knows about your sin. And he loves you anyway. And he's just saying, now say it out loud. Just go ahead. Say it out loud. Confess it. Confess it. It's called repentance. It's a gift from God to repent. I'm trying to incorporate in, uh, uh, repentance into my everyday time with God. I'm hoping that I don't have to repent a whole lot. But you never know. So here's what it means to repent. Repent is to have a complete change of mind, perspective, disposition, orientation, and motivation. When you truly repent, you will have a revolutionary change of mind that brings a revolutionary change of heart that brings about a revolutionary change of conduct that brings about a revolutionary change of lifestyle and when you experience that depth of repentance in your soul you are now stepping into living a holy life before God God's calling us to live in holiness. He wants us to live in holiness. He wants us to have holiness as an everyday part of our life. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 24 said, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? And he answers the question with, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is fault and does not swear deceitfully. 
Do you want to stand in the holy place? Do you want to ascend the hill of God? Do you want to be in the presence of the almighty, holy God? Then purify your heart and cleanse your hands. It's something we do every day. It's not something we do one time in our lifetime and then move on. It is a continual coming to the place of we're confessing our sin to God. We're repenting of our behavior. We're changing the direction in which we went. We're dealing with things differently the way that God has called us to deal with them. So why do we have to have clean hands and a pure heart? In order to stand in the presence of God. Because God is holy. Okay, that didn't get much, did it? Let me help you out, okay? God's holiness is absolute perfection. How many of you here suffer from the disease called perfectionism? Put those hands up proudly. Be perfectly, get that hand perfectly up there the way it's supposed to be. We love you. We love you. But stop it. You can't do it. But don't become a slob either, okay? Cleanliness is next to godliness. I'm just saying. All right. Now, but God, he's absolutely perfect. Absolutely. He is unlike any other. And his holiness is the essence of that otherness. What do you compare God to? God. You can't say God's like an egg. Have you ever heard that one before? All right, well, let me help. So you're trying to explain God, the triune God? Well, he's like an egg. Uh, There's three parts to God. There's a shell, a yolk, and a white, just like an egg. No, God's nothing like an egg. That's ridiculous. You can't compare God to anything because God is set aside in His holiness as as an otherness that nobody else is like. There is no one like Him. We sing about that, right? There's no other God like our God. Great is our God. How great is our God? He's really great. Right? So we have all these, these songs and these things that we sing about God's holiness and who He is. We, the first song we sang this morning was about God's holiness. The great I am. Holy, holy, holy. Hallelujah. Holy, holy, holy is the great I am. And that's, that's the truth. Is that we don't think about His holiness, His otherness. His very being is completely absent of even a trace of sin. His, he is high above any other. And no one can compare to him. God's holiness pervades his entire being. And shapes his attributes. In other words. His love is a holy love. His mercy is a holy mercy. Even his anger and his wrath are holy anger and holy wrath. His forgiveness is holy forgiveness. It is totally different than yours. You can't get God's because His is holy and yours is not. Everything about God is holy. And in order for us to come close to God, we have to be holy. Here's the bad news. You can't be holy. Here's the good news. Jesus makes you holy. That's the big deal. That's what it's all about. Is that in Jesus Christ, we are now holy in God's sight. It's only by the blood of Jesus that we can stand in the presence of God as holy. Hebrews 10.10 says, And by that, Jesus that is, we have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. In other words, we have this thing, we call it positional holiness. Positionally, when I stand in front of God and God looks at me and God views me right now, even as I am, even at my worst, 
He's viewing me through the blood of Jesus. And that blood makes me positionally holy with God. The bad news is we still walk on planet earth and we will never be holy as long as we live on planet earth. We will never be completely holy. We will never experience experience sinless perfection on earth. But what we will experience is that the repentance and the forgiveness and the renewal of our mind and our spirit and our body as we come to Christ. And every time we repent and we come back to Christ and we call out for His love and for His forgiveness, we come closer and closer and closer to the reality of who Jesus wants us to be. The picture that He has in His mind of us. That picture is a picture of someone who is absolutely holy. And that picture comes to reality when we step into the presence of Jesus for the very first time. After our death. That's when it comes. We can't do it ourselves. We need help. In Hebrews twelve fourteen, it says, Strive for peace with everyone. And the holiness with which, without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, if you don't have the holiness of Jesus covering you up and making you positionally holy before God, you will not see God. Now, does that mean that if you've come to Christ, but you've kind of like slipped off the old wagon as it were or you've done some things and you haven't confessed and you're not right with God and you've got all this other stuff going on and you've got these thoughts in your mind you've got uh, bad viewing habits you've got bad language habits and I'm not talking about cussing or swearing I'm talking about the way you speak to other people and to your family members you've got that all going on and you're going like if I think of myself I think of myself completely as far away from holiness as anything I don't see myself as holy. Well then, change your eyesight. Because you are holy because Christ has made you holy. The thing about getting to know God better, getting to know Jesus better, is that in order for us to grow in this progressive holiness, that's a a little term, progressive holiness. In other words, every day I'm striving to become more like Christ. I'm trying to, I'm striving with the help of the Holy Spirit to be a holy man or a holy woman. I'm progressing in this step, this progress with Christ. Every day I do that, I'm drawing closer to God. It's called sanctification. Have you ever heard that word before? Sanctification is just means that we are continually on this process of being set apart for God, for Him. That's what it means to be holy, is to be set apart for the use of God. That's what sanctification is, is setting ourselves apart for the holiness of God. We have to be involved in it. It it doesn't happen just by osmosis. You don't just sit in church like you're sitting here now and you receive the holiness of God. You don't sit here and absorb it like a sponge. It's stepping into it. There is a, a part of that that we step into. We, God works in conjunction with us. There's this proactive part where God says, remember, there's proactive part, draw near. That means on our part, we make the step. God's been waiting. He's been calling. And He says, draw near, come close. In Jeremiah, it says, call. In other words, there is something for us to do in order for us to experience and start living in the holiness that has been provided to us by Christ Jesus. All right, I'm not going to do that page. And I'm only going to do half of this page. <laughs> Let me just bring it to, to a close here. Holiness and obedience to Scripture are more important than almost anything. But they are the evidences of a transformed heart, not a means to attain a transformed heart. God desires that we be holy as He is holy. He wants us to grow in grace and the knowledge of Him. 
we do this because we are his children, because he's called us in to be a part of his family, not in order to earn his love. Being a Christ follower is not about signing up for a religion. It's about being born into the family of God. It is a relationship. Just as an adopted child has no power to create adoption, we have no power to join the family of God by our own efforts. We can only accept his invitation to know him as father through adoption. When we join his family through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside our hearts. He empowers us to live like the children of the king. And he does, does not ask us to try to attain holiness by our own strength as religion does. God wants us to know him. He, he asks that our old self be crucified with him so that his power can live through us. That way we can know him. We can draw near to him. We can pray to him. And we can love him above everything else. And that is not religion. That is a relationship. And that is why Peter said this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his mar marvelous light. You are chosen by God. I'm going to finish where we started. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's the call of Jesus today. Amen? Father, we thank you that you are absolutely holy and absolutely righteous, absolutely pure. There is nothing about you that even resembles anything of what we're like. We're like you, but you are not like us. And we want to thank you for that. We want to thank you for being holy. We want to thank you for being righteous. We want to thank you for your provision through Jesus Christ, that he is our holiness, that we stand in the blood of Jesus, positionally holy, and yet we are on the process of becoming holy. Thank you for providing that for us. We praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to encourage you that if God's been speaking to your heart, you need to pray. You need to spend time with God. God's calling you to draw near. Come to the front. Spend some time praying. Draw near to God and He'll draw near to you.